Hi, I'm Gemma Harmon and you're listening to Season 1 of Res Dance, a podcast dedicated to research methodologies and methods in dance practice. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr Bethany Whiteside, Research Lecturer and Doctoral Degrees Coordinator at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. Thank you very much for joining me today, Bethany. I'd like to start by asking a bit about yourself, so if you could share some background and experience and perhaps what you're currently working on, any project or research at the moment. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me to join you today. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to talk about my research and it's quite a novel experience to be the one answering questions rather than asking questions. So I, I feel like this is a slightly new experience for me as well. Um, you probably don't want me to go right back to age three, but I, I will do initially. So um, when I was young, I, I danced as, I danced at my local dance school and took all the RAD and ISTD grades. So I, I had a sort of a long-standing practice as a child and a young person. And then when I turned 18, I went and did a history degree at Cardiff University. I always loved history and um, it stood me in very good stead for analysis, analytical thinking, essay writing, but I, I never lost um, this love for dance and I, I wanted the chance to, to study the discipline more formally and then in 2009 um, University of Edinburgh launched a master's in dance science and education and uh, I feel that there were a lot of us in Scotland who were just waiting for this master's to launch in dance and, uh, and I studied that part-time for two years and I really really enjoyed it um, if people are interested in, in a master's in dance science um, an education in Scotland, absolutely check check it out. Um, and my dissertation for that master's degree was uh, a sociological analysis of the amateur classical ballet class using Goffman's model of dramaturgy, which is a very interesting model because it employs theatrical metaphors. So you, you have terms like front stage and backstage and performer. So it aligns nicely with dance. And in the course of doing that dissertation, I realized that I I wanted to do more and I wasn't I wasn't done with studying so um, that was quite a sobering thought because I realized that PhD was the only thing left open to me which is a huge commitment to make and uh, I was very lucky straight after my master's I gained a funded um, PhD through the Economic and Social Research Council the ESRC through the University of St Andrews to be based at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland and um, St Andrews validate the doctoral degrees at the Conservatoire. And this PhD was very much a sociology of dance, um, looking at micro sociology and looking at participatory dance. So I think what's really linked my PhD experience and my research experience post PhD has been this focus on um, who are the dancers, how are they dancing, um, that the kind of social and cultural context is what I'm particularly interested in, and that very much influences how I undertake research. I, I like to, to experience um, I like to experience the setting through being a dancer myself as, as much as possible within the studio, talking to people um, and dancing together. Great, thank you for that. I was scribbling like mad because you said lots of words that I love. Um, just touching upon perhaps the role of context you touched upon there. Um, I guess in dance and more recently dance science, I, I find myself advocating the need to undertake cross-discipline research or to undertake research in different contexts. And we're often talking about encouraging my students to talk about applying different principles and research ideas to different settings. 
and context. And I wonder, in the context of your research, if you had any thoughts about that importance, what it, what it is about context that's key, perhaps? Yes, I think context is, is integral in a number of ways in, in how, um, in the kind of researcher you, you are, the research context within which you situate yourself, how you, how you design a piece of research, how you undertake it, the ethos or the set of values that act as your starting point. Um, and how how you can best disseminate and share the work that you do so much about sharing in academia is about the particular language you use the particular terms that you use um, and and how you situate the research that you've undertaken and i think this has been one of the the bigger challenges for dance for health research because even the term dance for health um it feels quite new in some ways. So for for example, um, IADIM's the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science changed their mission statement in 2019 to explicitly include a focus on, on dance for health. And this was relatively recently, two years ago. So um, there's still very much discussion ongoing about exactly what constitutes dance for health. And um, for me, understanding that and knowing that has been really important. So um, Adams, for example, very much characterized dance for health as not dance therapy. So the focus on the dancer rather than the patient or the client, for example, um, a focus on high quality um, um, interventions that are evidence-based, yet yeah, focused on the joy of a particular experience, the, the sensation of moving and um, the social bonding that is integral to, to dance experiences. So when I contextualise my own work, it is very much within that dance for health sphere rather than a dance therapy sphere, for example. Mm. And no, I was going to say, it's just interesting, I was um, scribbling down like dance for health, healthy dancer, health for dance, dance and health. I was finding kind of different interchangeable terms. And I was, I was wondering, I guess the, so I guess it's about understanding the context of what the terms mean in relation to your own research. Um, but I wonder if there needs to be a defined or definition of a term, or do you think as long as you have an understanding of what it means in relation to what you're doing, that's enough? Yeah, I think for me, it's more important to understand what it is that I'm, I'm doing. I, I think where challenges occur is when you want to share and disseminate and explain what it is that you've, you've done. Um, ac academia is, is often very, it can be very siloed between disciplines um, and, and then not, not to get into um, politics, but of course, there's always political context in the way that disciplines are um, valued and, um, and sort of viewed they can be viewed in opposition to each other. So it's really important for dance health to, to make its validity, to make its importance, to make its significance known. And to um, it's not so much about carving out a space, it's more about, I suppose, um, occupying it and putting a stamp on it and saying, and saying, this is what dance for health scholars have to say and the dancers that they work with. It's about this diversity of voices that is so important. And it can be, it can be difficult to legitimise um, to legitimise that work when it's a context that is very much still evolving. I feel mm. this might be a tricky question to ask in, in terms of the challenges perhaps you've yourself faced in, in some of the research or projects that you've undertaken. Is there anything that comes to mind about that in terms of perhaps 
that that language that accessibility of language translation of language those ideas that you could perhaps refer to um yeah i think most of the most of the challenges um can really be seen actually in the narrative of of literature that that forms the bulk of dance for parkinson's literature for example so we see very much there was a narrative where the studies undertaken were very much focused on the impact of dance on people with parkinson's particularly with relation to physical symptoms or functional mobility and the methods by which to understand this impact um, traditionally were standardized measures so looking at dance as an intervention and a very kind of quantitative basis and then we see particularly with um with Sarah Houston's work, working with English National Ballet and Dancer Parkinson's, a more mixed methods, qualitative listening and speaking to, to the dancer who understand their bodies best, essentially. And uh, with the Dancer Parkinson's literature, there has been a, a very exciting development that um, uh, we, we see a trajectory where we're starting to move away from the, the more standardized measures to mixed methods to qualitative, and then looking at new methodologies and it's been quite it's been quite a journey it's been very exciting to have had a um a small part to play in that and then when we look at dance for multiple sclerosis for example which is a, um again a neurological condition that is degenerative we see again within this narrative that the existing literature is very much physical symptoms functional mobility understanding it through quantitative means so we're, we're starting to see a repeat of this this same trajectory um, and then with the the dance for dementia literature and i'm speaking of course in quite generalist terms um, in terms of putting these bodies of literature together um, dance for dementia literature is is more closely located within the sphere of dance therapy mm. so so dancers with dementia um, are patients with um, particular psychosocial symptoms and, and can can dance have a, a positive impact so um i'm so sorry jim i can't remember what the original question was but i've just gone and spoken lots about literature no you did answer my question and actually from that you you shed some really interesting light about the quantitative qualitative frameworks perhaps research paradigms approaches that might be used and it's interesting isn't it and maybe it comes back to the idea about who the research is for and who you're writing for so perhaps in a more academic sense that quantitative data um, goes back perhaps to that argument that I don't necessarily agree with about perhaps trying to prove disprove you can show very plainly something numerical and um, one of the slight bugbears I find in in, in some research I'm a, I'm a qualitative researcher at heart those people listening will know that I'm a, a huge fan of, of that subjective subjectivities the role of the individual and so on but one bugbear I have in, in some academic literature is when using a more subjective or qualitative approach in the limitations section of the paper, it will comment on how a limitation is that it's subjective um, and that that doesn't have enough kind of weight to kudos. Um, and, I, and I guess I'm thinking about, you know, some of the Parkinson's research you referred to and the weight that we give to the individual's experience, first person narratives and the weight that holds and the privilege that you have to have someone share, let you into those experiences. Um, do you find that one of the challenges about qualitative, perhaps research or methods is how they're received by other people? Yeah, that's absolutely one of the long standing 
challenges with, with qualitative research. And I think it's been a challenge for, um, for Dance for Health. I think that's part of the continuing narrative that the, the domain um, um, continues to discuss. But uh, I think there is real movement. I, I do feel that when, within Dance for Health, qualitative research is not only being seen more and more as um, as, as important and significant and valuable, but 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 also in some cases, in some settings, in some ways, it is absolutely um, the the more appropriate way to do research. And I think this is really important. I'm certainly, I, I'm not a, a quantitative researcher, but I'm certainly not suggesting that the, the quantitative research isn't important, is the fact that you need a diversity of approaches and a diversity of methods. And I think this comes back to the fact that the conditions of, that the dancers are experiencing Parkinson's dementia, multiple sclerosis, they're all multifaceted. No two individuals will, will have a will have the same experience. And dance is a multifaceted art form. It's it, it's, it's wonderful, it's physical, it's kinesthetic, it's social, it's emotional. So I think this diversity of condition and art form um, is best needs to be reflected within the research approach taken. And uh, I think this is why more and more we're seeing more mixed methods um, uh, research undertaken in dance health rather than purely qualitative or purely quantitative. Yeah, and I, I, I always advocate to my students about it not being about the approach, but about it being correct for the questions being asked about the research. And that, and you're right, that mixed methods approach allows for that multifaceted insight into a phenomenon, into what's being researched. I guess um, I'm interested about, when you spoke about kind of uh, perhaps the research design or process, how that might differ for the type of research that you undertake given the, the participants with whom you work with and perhaps some of the things you have to consider in terms of that design or methodologies used, whether you could say something about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to. I'm, I'm quite a methodology um, geek as, as my students at the, at the conservatoire know. Um, I find it fascinating actually designing research and evaluation and then the act of, of carrying it out. So. As you mentioned, the starting point is always um, what, what are the aim, what are the questions that are being asked. But one of the big, one of the biggest considerations has always been that the work that I undertake is, is not, it's not an experimental settings. It's always a real world setting. So the dancers I work with um, should have, I should have mentioned earlier through through Scottish Ballet and Dance Space. Um, are coming to to dance. They're not coming to take part in a piece of research or an evaluation. Um, primarily for them, they're, they're attending as dancers. So with the research design and evaluation, it, it's always, there are always questions that I ask myself about what's appropriate for me to ask the dancers to, to take part in, how much time can I ask of them, how much can I ask of them, of them to, you know, to give themselves to this piece of, piece of work. And a good example to give is um, with the mixed methods approach that I have most often taken is in the types of measures that I've used. So in a lot of dance with Parkinson's literature, for example, we see the PDQ um, 39 drawn upon, which isn't, um, it, it, it's not a dance measure, it's, it's very much a measure um, that, that aligns with the Parkinson's, um, Parkinsonian condition. So for the dance with Parkinson's evaluation, I spoke to David Leventhal, who Many listeners may may know as the, as a co-founder of Dance for PD, and um, he designed a questionnaire with Professor Cynthia McRae at Denver University, which is for dancers with Parkinson's to complete 
So the starting point is, is the dancer. And you can see in the design of this questionnaire and the language and the terminology it uses, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's appropriate. And many dancers um, talked about how they enjoyed completing it as opposed to a standardized measure that, that wasn't with a dancer in mind. Um, for the FAQ3 uh, time to dance evaluation, a dancer, uh, an evaluation of the dance dementia friendly program at Scottish Ballet, um, we wanted to look at mixed methods. And many of the measures that have been used in, in dementia research um, haven't necessarily been designed with people's dementia in mind. And the measure that we used was the UCL Museum Well being measures toolkit designed by Linda Thompson and Helen Chatterjee at UCL. And it's a measure that was designed um, with support from the Arts and Humanities Research Council with people with dementia, for people with dementia. So the colours used in, in these measures, the, the language, the gradient, the, the Likert scale, were all designed with people with dementia. And this, these sorts of considerations have been, have been really important. Um, it's about, it's about wanting a dancer to feel comfortable, wanting to respect them as a dancer. Um, and then with my perhaps more research hat on, it is always about a certain quality and quantity of data that you're seeking. So in making and helping people to feel comfortable and supported, um, th th this will impact on the sort of data you get, you get back, of course. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I found for my own research that I undertook professional uh, dancers and musicians, through their experiences often in research settings feeling like the the purpose of the research wasn't for them that it was being done about them or to them but they questioned perhaps about the role that they had in that research process and, and to what extent it would benefit for them so it's it's wonderful to hear that those kind of measures have been put in place um specific for that particular group and population that that's being studied i was interested by what you said in terms of the real world setting and that lived experience and how you you're entering other people's worlds or seeing a topic from other people's worlds how they experience and i wonder if you could share something about the methods used to try and capture that experience yes absolutely thank you um so real world setting so as i mentioned um all of the dancers are going to dance they're not going necessarily to take part in their piece of research or an evaluation so at the heart of, of all the work that I do is, is really an ethnographic um, approach. So I dance within all of the projects. Um, I, I participate in everything. And by this, I don't just mean dance in the studio. I also mean the social cafe afterwards. Um, I'll walk with people to the bus stop if they're getting a bus back or to the taxi rank, um, up through the stairs and the corridors of, of Scottish ballets or dance spaces um, building. and. I mean, this, you hear this term such a lot, this method such a lot in qualitative research, but um, semi-structured interviews are, are, are just integral as well. It's, it's, it's a method, of course, that allows for the, the researcher to have the, the kind of shopping list of topics, as it were, but then you can deviate and take the, the dancer's lead um, and, um, and allow them to respond at will. And then this often leads to very, very exciting um, um, findings that you as the researcher wouldn't have known to ask about it. It has come from the dancers themselves. So one example would be the evaluation of Dance with Parkinson Scotland, the, the pilot that I undertook in 2017. One dancer mentioned how, um, in response to a different question, how when she 
when she comes out of the shower and she wants to reach for a towel, she'll do one of the stretches from the class to be able to, to reach the towel. And when she's hoovering, she'll put on music and she'll toe heel, toe heel up the hallway to keep herself moving while she's doing the housework. And, um, and understanding, Dance for Health research is very traditionally focused on what's happening within the studio rather than the impact and, and the wave outside the studio. So by employing a method that allowed a dancer to share something really quite new, I was then able to change the interview framework and, and build this in and, and speak to speak to other dancers. Um, thinking about ethnography and ethnographic methods further, it's been really one of the biggest lessons that I've learned as a researcher working with dancers with dementia is just how important um, an ethnographic approach is to, to talk to dancers in the moment, as it were. So um, ethnographic interviews is, is often a, a term that's used to basically describe conversations that take place in the field, which are often you know, directed by the researcher, but um, can then be built into field notes. And it's been talking to, to dancers with dementia, um, particularly individuals who have maybe um, later stage dementia, when I'm dancing with them, um, feeling the, the, the pressure of their hand on my hand or, or the way that they realise that I'm copying how they're moving and they have the autonomy right now, um, or the, the facial expressions, the way that posture changes um, for a dancer to say goodbye um, when they hadn't said goodbye previously and, and to smile and learning about particular safe words that dancers might use or understanding when they may be feeling frightened because I'm getting an insight into their particular vocabulary and the data that's been caught in the moment as it were when working with dancers with dementia has just I, I can't overstate the importance um it has been it has been so integral and coming back to some of your earlier questions about limitations and um and how qualitative and ethnographic research can be viewed that can be very difficult to explain the value of that in the moment data because all data has to be analysed and quantified and presented in, in some fashion. So it's been very exciting for me as a researcher to work in a slightly different way because if researchers don't learn, then, um, then research doesn't learn. No, that's it's really insightful to hear. And I think also this, this idea of in the moment, I used to think about it when I started researching, I guess about being settings, I used to think about, well, I need to ask dancers about that experience whilst they're performing or whilst they're in a class, try and avoid retrospective questioning. And the way you talk about it there and what we've learned in more recent years is about that in the moment, it's about trying to share experiences in all of their experiences, enter their world and then feed that into our research rather than it about taking a single moment and trying to capture it. So how you've spoken there is really wonderful to hear that the walk to the bus stops or in the corridor or getting changed or whatever kind of gave you that rich descriptive insight that then you could kind of use for your research. And I'm always really interested in this idea of truthfulness. I know I'm batting around large topic areas and ideas here. Um, I might, I'm interested about how we document those in the moment moments, those experiences and how they they represent the individual, how truthful we can be in, in what we represent. And I wondered if you had any ideas about that. Perhaps it again comes back to that um, transferability of language, accessibility of language, uh, or how those experiences are documented. But I always have a question about, as a researcher, 
when I'm working in a qualitative way, do I do the participant justice in that experience, in the, in the way that I shared it with others? That's su such an interesting question. Um, I just touched on a, a couple of things um, with which I can, re I can respond. So I've just written down a note to myself, building trust and rapport. So this has been incredibly important, um, particularly with the, the dance of Parkinson's dances, because a lot of the research and evaluation that I undertake is for the company to learn, um, for a contribution to be made to the field, but also for this work to go to the funders, to the stakeholders. And so more than once a dancer has said to me, um, uh, one particular question is obviously has been about perceived physical benefits of, of dance. And um, one theme during the pilot evaluation is that dancers, some dancers felt it much harder to, to quantify and to really know if there was a physical benefit. The social benefit they, they felt was far more obvious and, and they were able to talk about it a lot more. But the physical benefit, um, uh, more than one dancer was, wasn't sure, just couldn't quantify um, and then apologised. You know, I, I'm, re I'm really sorry, can you use this? Um, do I need to be more positive? Um, um, by building up trust and rapport with dancers um, and building a relationship with them, it, it really changed how we spoke to one another and because I was able to conduct multiple interviews with the same individuals. Um, there was within certain individuals there was a change from I don't think I'm really saying what you'd like me to say I'm really sorry to I can't really sense the physical benefit however this is where I see the value so uh, a change a change there and uh, when you're talking about honesty and truth another thing that I've found and perhaps you found it as well is when um, um, by taking this quite immersive approach there have been cases where I think dancers have forgotten that I'm present as a researcher because this, this dual hat of dancer and researcher um, has, has become so cemented, particularly for long-term evaluations where I've been very present for a longer period of time. And there, there have been certain instances where dancers have been so honest and shared um, perhaps really quite intimate and personal details about how their condition affects them. Um, details of their, their daily living um, and, and their relationship with dance that has just been wonderful to hear and to be trusted trusted to, to hear it. Um, but you feel such a sense of responsibility when you receive data like that. And of course, with a thematic approach and, and with ethics, etc., cetera, um, dancers are never identified, but it, it's still how to use that data even behind the scenes, as it were, as, as a researcher. And certainly there have been cases where um, I have chosen not to use data um, at all. It's, it's felt too, too personal and, um, and, too, and too raw. So I think that's been uh, really, it's been quite, quite a different experience. I, I wasn't expecting perhaps for, um, dancers are just so generous. I think this is what it comes down to. The point from earlier, um, if I'm not jumping about too much. <laughs> So, so Gemma, you, you were asking you were asking questions about um, um, sort of honesty and and, and truth um, within the research experience. And the third point I, I wanted to mention was the um, it just it's just been it's been really quite extraordinary the sense of ownership that the dancers themselves have felt over the evaluation and research conducted. Mm. This has been particularly the case with the dancers with Parkinson's and the dancers with multiple sclerosis. They 
want to know what other literature is out there. They want to know what it is that I'm doing, what it is that I'm finding out, how they can help. And, um, and this sense of ownership has, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly impacted on um, the, the quality, the quantity of data, but also the experience that I've had as a researcher. I've, I've had dancers guiding me to a place at the bar. I've had you know, dancers telling me um, what, what's coming up next, um, asking me if I'm okay. And it's, it's such a different way of working. I think the researcher traditionally is, you know, white lab coat, objective, sitting the other side of a, of a glass panel or sitting, sitting with the back to the wall, watching something unfold. Um, and this hasn't been the experience at all and I, I think it's so important to to recognize and to in some way um, respect but also build on this sense of ownership felt by dancers because research about people should not be then just shared with others mm. and um, and I think it then raises questions about different ways of working we still within dance for health research is still very much research on people about their experience with dance within the context of them having a particular condition. And um, more and more there are conversations happening about, about co-creation, about different methods, different methodologies. And uh, I, I think this is where we should be going to more. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That um, idea of that co-creation of knowledge, how knowledge is created, interpreted, evaluated. And it very much stems from that place to researcher and the relationship between yourself the topic those being researched the narratives that that you collect and that ownership's a really nice thing to hear that participants feel like they're part of a shared experience and they're not participants being having something done to them or for the purpose of other people i wonder what barriers they are for research being led in that particular way why is research more about it being about the researcher and participants i wonder whether you think that will happen in years to come that their shift will be made um, I hope that shift is made. I, I don't. I, I think it's always about a diversity of approaches and and, and methods. So I, I simply think that co-creation, um, further collaboration, is something that we should explore more and see more of. But uh, I think some of my concerns are to do with responsibility. Um, not every dancer is going to to want to work with a researcher in that way, and um, and that, that's really important to recognise and to respect. And we don't have many models of working in this way either. There are so many limitations when it comes to time, to logistics, to funding, um, to capacity, to resources. And, and these are variables that often the individual researcher can just figure out themselves and, and make work because they're the only one who really needs to lead and to undertake and, and to get the research completed. So I feel like it's a completely different way of, of working. And um, I think it needs to be, I, I'd like to see more of it. I'd like to do more of it myself, but um, it's, I don't think it's, a, it's not an easier way to work by any means. I think that it would be a valuable way to work. I think you would get different types of questions asked, different types of questions answered, um, different findings would, would rise to the fore. Um, some of my most interesting data has been when dancers have have when I've asked dancers what sorts of questions should I be asking you what sort of questions would you like to to answer and a more um, co-creation way of working would would, would really take that as, as a central focus and the, and the starting point but um, how much again how much could we ask of people 
and um, understanding that not everybody would want to to have that experience. And in terms of your research that you've undertaken, what kind of network is there? So I'm thinking kind of geographically where you're where you're situated, perhaps, and the, the great research is being undertaken. Is that the same in other areas? Do you find there's a network of individuals like yourself undertaking similar research? Um, how much support is there for you as a kind of research with other academics and practitioners and so on? Uh, there is a network of, of support out there. I think that IADIMS um, will become even more of a network of support um, with, the, with the change of the mission statement and, um, and through, through really kind of galvanising um, Dance for Health and its development. Um, an example of a network of support would be the recent um, I may not be giving the correct title, but the recent Dance Health Methodologies Symposium. So this is a, a funded um, project being led by University of Exeter and, and Trinity Laban and um, Professor Emma Redding is, is, um, is a, a colleague who has been heavily involved and, uh, and Kerry Chappell from Exeter, from Exeter University. And I think it's these formalised networks of support that we really need to see. I think that for because I I am technically an, an early career researcher. I think for ECRs and for for doctoral students working in this area, you are always looking to um, the more senior, the more experienced academics, and and often these formalised settings is is where you you have the chance to meet and and to talk. And I think that over the last year, the the less formalised networks, as it were, it's been far more difficult because um, so many people are completely timetabled out with online activity and then of course all other social activity with families and friends have been online that those more organic less formal networks have been perhaps harder to maintain mm. um, there's been such a reaction of course within academics to to support students um, and to teach online and to um, continue research and of course it's been the year of REF as well um, so I feel that that's something that's been hard to maintain so I, I hope that as things return um, these more organic opportunities and conversations will come back as well. Mm, I'm sure they will going forward like you say when there's more brain space and time uh, to do so. In terms of that role of Dance for Health is it something that you think is really important in terms of kind of um, undergraduate masters, you know, educational programmes to have a module or an area of dance for health within it? Yes, I think I think it's really important. I think that as a as a as a discipline, as a domain, it's so exciting. It's incredibly timely. It's very topical. Um, some very exciting research is is taking place, and. Within the conservatoire, I teach on the undergraduate modules, um, the theoretical modules with first and second years, and I teach dance science. Um, and I've been building in sessions actually for dance for health into my into my teaching, so research led teaching, and uh, so working with 16, 17, 18 year olds and and their reaction to understanding that there is this world out there has been wonderful to see as. Um, as a as a lecturer and I think because I, I work with vocational students is also seeing their understanding of companies like Scottish Ballet the investments that these big companies are, are making by utilizing their expertise and and their knowledge um, and that they're seeking to learn and to, and to understand more 
So I think it's also very important. Um, one of the one of the messages I suppose the Scottish Ballet put out by taking research so seriously themselves is that nobody ever stops learning. You may be a big national um, um, a prestigious company, but you yourself are, are never content with what you know. You're always seeking to understand and to learn more. And um, and I think within a field of dance where we're so good at disciplining ourselves and we're so good at seeking new knowledge, that's that's really important. In in dance, dance science, to have that broadness, I think whilst a focus of injury prevention and performance enhancement is important, particularly in, in a dance science realm, I think looking at it in terms of social and cultural impact of dance is also really important. And I guess it's, um, I'd like to think, teaching my students to research skills, to be undertake any research and be able to ask any questions that you ask if you have those fundamental research skills. So I'm quite excited to think that as, as graduates, um, more people graduate, they will start to see a broader focus of dance and dance science research. I wondered if you had a wish list, what kind of things you would um, put on it uh, in terms of perhaps dance for health, it might be dance research, it might be in terms of educational programmes. If there's anything that you'd like to see change or happen? There are so many things. Um, this, is a, this is a very good question, so it's an excellent question. Um, it's sort of a, the winning the lottery one, but um, <laughs> from a, a research standpoint. So within, within Dance for Health, I, I would love to see more of and to have the chance myself to work with um, more methods and methodologies. A little bit, um, we spoke of of earlier uh, new ways of doing things um, and exploring how the quality and, and the rigour are still very much present but a different different questions can be asked and different findings can be unearthed and many dancers that I have spoken to um, have, have indicated that they would like to have the opportunity to, to work in a more equal way with the researcher and um, it's an opportunity to capitalise on. I would, I would love to have the chance to do that. I'd also like to know more about, um, to know more about who, who the dancers are. So within Dance for Health research, a, a dancer, a dancer has Parkinson's full stop. Um, we, we don't. I'd like to do more about looking at sociology, sociology of dance for Parkinson's. So more about demographics, um, narratives with the art form, experiences with, with dance. Um, um, geographical differences, particular barriers and, and challenges would be very interesting. The, the Scottish Ballet and Dance Based Pilot Evaluation of Dance of Parkinson's demographics is not the focus, but there was they very much indicated um, that people who were attending perceived perceived their, their quality of life to be very good or excellent. Um, uh, within the classes, um, Dancers are generally white and um, previously had occupations linked to being teachers or solicitors or, 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 or medical professionals. And I think if we know more about who the dancers are, then we have a better idea of who perhaps isn't being reached. Yeah, you make an important point because that, you know, by working with different participants, different demographics, that will then inform different research. Different questions will be asked, different research will be undertaken. Do, I do think it's really important. Yes, it is really important. Um, and I'd, I'd like to work more with practitioners. So, so listeners will probably be aware that you know, Dance for PD, there is, a, there is a global dance movement in existence. And there is a particular model of practice that, that has had 
an awful lot of research attached to it and um, and each country or continent or culture takes that model and makes it makes it their own but within the sphere of dance for dementia and dance for multiple sclerosis there is no global movement or, or model of practice in the same way so a lot of my work with Scottish Ballet has actually looked at how they themselves have been devising a particular model so more work with practitioners understanding that the process that a practitioner goes through to to devise these ways of working um, and lastly um, I, I'm really interested in in dance philosophy and the contribution that different bodies and different ways of move, moving actually make to the art form that is dance um, I feel like we're missing something very important and um, actually Sarah Houston's Dancing with Parkinson's book, which I recently reviewed for Dance Research, um, has a, a wonderful section that really looks at notions of grace and beauty and freedom. Because dance philosophy traditionally, the, the very upright, balletic body um, reigns supreme, as it were. And by, by limiting what we view as beautiful or graceful, um, we're, we're really sort of limiting, limiting ourselves. And uh, I think that particular ways of moving within Dance for Health with dancers who were happy to share um, and who shared an interest in that focus is something else I'd like to look at as well. So that's a nice to-do list. That's your wish list. <laughs> yes, in my spare time. Your research lottery in your spare time of what you want. <laughs> Even it really, it's made me think about my own research interests and others that I know and, you know, a way of opening that dialogue and people coming together so the context in which you work is very specific perhaps because of the nature of participants but a lot of the things we've spoken about today are broad and they tap into lots of people's research and perhaps you're trying to draw upon different people's expertise in collaborating and coming together it could be really interesting before we finish just wonder is there anything else that you'd like to share any words of wisdom anything that you haven't said that you'd like to share uh, now is your chance <laughs> um, the, the only other um, point of conversation that, that I wanted to discuss was, was um, ethics within Dance for Health Research. I, I think on my, uh, one of my questions, and we, we kind of moved away from the topic, one of my questions when I was thinking about perhaps characteristics and features of research and how they might differ in different contexts. And the two areas that came to mind were the participant. And we, we've talked about the participant, the role of that person but also in terms of ethics. And I find myself as my students, when we, we talk about ethics and we talk about how they can be met throughout the research process, I was thinking about what ethics would mean in the terms of your research and, and how different that would be. I, th I, think it, I think it is very different. I think traditionally within research, ethics is often taken a, a kind of tick box um, approach. Um, uh, an ethics application has been submitted, um, institutional approval has been given, um, informed consent, um, uh, all paperwork is in order. But I think within Dance for Health, what, what I've discovered is um, you need to go so far beyond the, the sort of basic necessities as it were. It's, it's so much more about how you actually design an evaluation, particularly when, um, when people are coming to dance, it's not a controlled study as it were, and how you communicate it as well, and how much you ask of people and what you ask of people. Um, so, so to give one final example, when I was working with, with dancers with dementia, um, traditionally 
stances, treating people with dementia have not always been included in research, which is effectively about, about them. Um, so, you, you know, lots of examples where proxy consent, for example, is given. And I was very keen, very keen that dancers um, felt a sense of ownership and autonomy within, within this evaluation. And so for many of the dancers, I needed to learn a particular way, a best way to communicate. And um, with dancers with more advanced dementia through training undertaken with Scottish Ballet, one, one method or process that was shared with us was um, about communicating physically, so sitting next to somebody and seeing how they're sitting and mirroring how they sit. And then if they change how they're sitting, you mirror that and then that may lead to some eye contact and it may lead to, to a first exchange of, of words. And this, um, this very gentle, very patient approach was invaluable and this gentleness and patience um, sort of it could feel at odds with how research is traditionally often conducted with the ethics being a, a sort of quick stop um, things need to be ticked before you move on and it, it's more than that it's integral to how to who you are as a research and how you how you conduct research in its entirety so working with dancers where Proxy consent um, was more appropriate. In no way means that those dances are not uh, are not um, sat with and danced with and communicated with. Um, in in they're still people, and it's really important to keep that respect at the heart of at the heart of everything. So I think ethics within dance for health has been. It's, it's been incredibly important, um, not only in how evaluation is con is communicated, but then how it's conducted. So earlier I was talking about certain data not being used, for example, certain qualitative data, and I think that links back to ethics mm. um, as well. Mm. And do you find that there has there been a lot of research in terms of ethics within Dance for Health? Has there been a lot of exploration around that, or is it a case of when a research is presented in their project, they they take the stages that are right for the people they're presented with. Yeah, it's more often the case that ethics are a part of the um, the methodology, the how how methods have been undertaken, rather than a distinct thread that's that's ran throughout or a distinct focus of a particular research paper. So I think it's another opportunity actually for for Dance for Health. Mm, definitely, because to I say. The ethics always comes before the research commences, whereas the way you're talking about it is it becomes a thread throughout throughout the research, including the kind of um, what, what data you're choosing to share, the narratives you choose to share. So it, it sounds like it's yeah. fundamental to that research process. That's yeah, really absolutely. Yeah. And I've spoken a lot about dances, but, uh, you know, many, much of the work I have undertaken, um, uh, carers, friends, family, spouses, family members have been involved. And, and of course, the same the same respect absolutely um, is, is extends to everyone in the space and the same with practitioners um many practitioners have put so much of themselves into into their craft and the way they devise and, and work with particular models of practice within the studio and their expertise and their knowledge um so when we think of ethics we often think about vulnerable populations and really it should just be thinking about people mm, that's really interesting that can be on your to-do list to write as your next paper. <laughs> I'll add it. Ethics and Dance for Health. That's a really interesting topic. It's been a real privilege to speak with you today and hear about your research. So I'm really grateful for your time. So thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me.